This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. We return to our intriguing conversation and dialogue with our guest, Dan Kovalik. I might add that concurrently, and I just want to remind our listeners that we have the great pleasure of having the attorney, Daniel Kovalik, as our guest and extensive author and historian, actually. But concurrently to what you're saying are things like sanctions, sabotage, all of these things, not just affecting Venezuela, but when you look at Cuba and other nations. And so what you see is an attempt to make it nearly impossible to govern by the popular government and then try to paint that through image making as an inadequacy of that government rather than, sure, these governments sometimes make mistakes, but but the great amount of damage that's done is really done by this these destabilization things. And if you just remove that from the equation and let these countries do their own thing, it would be a much different a different result. And that result, I think, is what we want to make sure never catches fire because, you know, these investment issues that you're talking about. But please continue with your, your thoughts there. Yeah, well, I think talking about sanctions is very important because a lot of people, and including a lot of Western human rights groups, by the way, don't acknowledge how deadly sanctions are. Economic sanctions of the type the U.S. imposes on these countries can be more deadly than a military intervention. So I'll, I'll give a couple examples. We know in Venezuela, for example, there's this great study by the Center for Economic Policy Research. It was done by Mark Weisbrot. And Jeffrey Sachs, who's an economist, a pretty, you know, mainstream economist at Columbia University. And they put this report out, and I would urge people to look at it, where they concluded that in one year alone, between 2017 and 2018, 40,000 Venezuelans died due to U.S. sanctions because of the inability of Venezuela to get medicines, life-saving medicines for their population, including HIV medicines, chemotherapy medicines, dialysis equipment. So again, in one year alone, 40,000 Venezuelans died. And they predicted in the next year, 2019, even more would die, and even more so now. So you're looking at probably over 100,000 Venezuelans who have died due to these sanctions. And these are the same types of sanctions the U.S. is leveling against Iran and North Korea and now Nicaragua, and they're killing people. And the whole point of the sanctions is to coerce the population to rise up against their government. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, what this amounts to is a form of terrorism, right? Because the internationally accepted definition of terrorism... right is inflicting suffering, right, and death on a civilian population for political gain. And that's exactly what these sanctions are meant to be. Yeah, and that's not to mention Iraq, where, you know, maybe close to more than 500,000 to a million people may have uh, perished on the sanction part of the or pre-invasion policies there. Let me ask you, we have limited time with you, so I wanted to also ask you, to turn to the issue of Samantha Powers, she she served as the U.S. ambassador to the United States from 2013 to, I think, 
2017. She's also uh, has written quite a bit herself and, in fact, got a Pulitzer Prize for a book called A Problem from Hell, America in the Age of Genocide. She also was instrumental in pointing the United States as, as she had the ear of President Obama. She, she actually was in the National Security Council of Obama's. Within the Obama administration, she advocated for military intervention in Libya, and also her failure to, of course, it wasn't just her, right? I mean, I I remember uh, Susan Rice, another person being considered by uh, 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 President-elect Biden, and of course, Hillary Clinton, they were also essentially very pro-invasion of Libya. But can you speak a little bit to Samantha Powers, but also the issues of the Libyan invasion and also Yemen, which is a conflict that began under the administration of President Obama in 2015 and was accelerated under President Trump. But it has to do with us allying ourselves with the greatest human rights violator in the world, namely Saudi Arabia and other Gulf monarchies. Can you tell us a little bit about Samantha Power and, and why, from a, a no unjust war kind of proposition, we have something to fear based on her past? Yeah, she is a very fascinating figure, and I think she's very emblematic of the lie of what is now known as humanitarian intervention. And that is this notion that countries, particularly the West, and that's who embraces this, particularly the U.S. and Great Britain, France, Italy, Canada, embrace this notion that countries, meaning themselves, have the right to intervene in other nations to protect human rights, which all sounds great, right? But the truth is, these so-called humanitarian interventions never, ever advance human rights. In fact, they undermine them. So let's talk a little bit about that. A very important humanitarian intervention was the Libya intervention in 2011, which Samantha Power, as you mentioned, and Susan Rice and Hillary Clinton were very important in getting Obama to support. And what their position was, both to him and publicly, was we need to intervene in Libya to protect human rights. And there are essentially three arguments they make that prevail. One was we have to protect Benghazi from genocide because there were forces in Benghazi, which turned out to be these jihadist groups, that were rising up against the government. And Muammar Gaddafi, the leader of Libya at the time, says, we're going to go house to house and root these people out. And the three people I mentioned said, you know, that sounds like genocide, so we need to go in and protect Benghazi. When, in fact, again, there's no evidence Gaddafi was going to carry out a genocide. In fact, he invited the U.N. to go to Benghazi and see that, in fact, there was no evidence that, that, you know, some mass, you know, massacre was going to happen. But the U.S. did not wait. NATO did not wait until the U.N. issued a report about Benghazi to start bombing that country. The other argument that was made, which was just ludicrous, was that Gaddafi was giving Viagra to his troops to carry out mass rape. Well, some human rights groups like Amnesty International, pretty quickly said, look, there's no evidence of this. This is 
you know, not factually accurate. But the media here in the U.S. bought it, and so that was the basis for people supporting the invasion of Libya. The third lie was the most nefarious one. So the other lie that people like Samantha Power put forth was Gaddafi is using black mercenaries to attack his own people. You might remember this. So first of all, again, Amnesty International initially embraced this lie and said, yeah, he's doing that. But then later, after the bombs start falling from NATO, says, no, you know what? There's no black mercenaries there. There are black people. Some are guest workers working there, right? And others have lived there for years, many years. And in fact, they lived there due to the history of slavery in Northern Africa. But this lie is critical not only in uh, justifying the NATO bombing of Libya, but even worse, what happens is the jihadists that the U.S. supports to overthrow Gaddafi target black Libyans Mm -hmm. as they begin to take power. Yeah, they were hanging them they, and those types of hideous acts, I remember. Yeah, depopulate entire black towns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Libya, yep. arrest black Libyans, murder black Libyans. And now, to this day, as we speak, you and I, there are black Libyans, not just black Libyans, but black people from other parts of Africa being sold as slaves in public markets in Libya. Yeah, that's documented by CNN and major groups of that sort. I think this is really important. You mentioned the terrorist groups, and the main one in that part of the world was the LIFG. In fact, there was a West Point study based on captured documents. Somehow we got hold of al-Qaeda-type files, and they found that the greatest al-Qaeda concentration per 100,000 were in Libya, two towns, Darnay, and I forget the other one, but right up there in that northeastern sector you're talking about. I mean, it was exactly as you have indicated that this was where the, the hotbed, and they, and they could not stand Gaddafi, and Gaddafi had been trying to eliminate them as well. The other thing is, I think... For me, what made the whole thing not credible was that at that time in 2011, if you go back and look, Libya had the highest human development index in the continent of Africa, the whole continent. So if we're so Mm -hmm. interested, Samantha Powers, in humanitarian interventions, it seems like we should have intervened in the other 53 countries first, because they were the ones based on this really important indice that lived in inferior living conditions than the population, the majority population in Libya. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And by the way, post-invasion, Libya now has the worst economic prosperity of any country in Africa. We took the most prosperous country in Africa and turned it into the least prosperous country. I mean, it's incredible. Kind of what we did to Iraq, right? I mean, wasn't Iraq one of the most advanced countries in that part of the world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And frankly, Afghanistan was pretty advanced when the U.S. started intervening in 1979. And again, I think Samantha Power just represents this huge lie that somehow the U.S is going around liberating people, liberating women, spreading democracy, when in fact it's just the opposite, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, I guess let's get to Yemen then, while we still have time, because this is important too. So 
In 2015, the Obama administration begins selling billions of dollars of military hardware to Saudi Arabia, including, by the way, cluster bomb, anti-personnel devices. And this this is under a a Democratic administration. I mean, I just have to say how when it comes to Democratic and Republican administrations, there's not much difference in these foreign policy outcomes. No, not, not at all. Not at all. And so they begin selling these weapons to Saudi Arabia so Saudi Arabia could carry out what is a massive slaughter in Yemen. And I can't articulate in words how terrible the humanitarian crisis has become there due to the U.S. support of the Saudis there. Mm -hmm. The U.N. has predicted six million children, six million, will die in Yemen due to this conflict. And another many millions of adults will die, too. I mean, this is considered by the U.N. to be the worst humanitarian crisis, certainly since World War II. And you're talking about issues of starvation and and cholera and those types of things that are going on? Cholera, right. right, This this intervention led to the largest cholera outbreak known ever, known in human history, a diphtheria outbreak, and now, of course, covid and their health care system's been destroyed by the Saudis. Mm-hmm. So they can't combat that either. So you see mass starvation, death by disease, by bombing. This is going to eclipse anything we've ever seen in our recent lifetime. And I'm even talking, you know, in terms of numbers, what the Nazis did, okay? This is incredible. Obama was part of that, and Samantha Power was part of that, and Susan Rice, who's going to get a position in the Biden government, was part of that, and Hillary Clinton was part of that. Mm -hmm. This is a very profound thing to get your head around. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because as we've already indicated, the arming of the Saudis began most heavily under the Obama administration, but then accelerated under the Trump I just can't imagine if Russia was providing military aid to a country that was bombing Yemen or some other country causing this types of human death and destruction, that it would not be all over the place in our media. But there's no coverage of Yemen at all in our media. We've talked on this show about studies that showed that for over a year and a half or so, MSNBC didn't even cover it, didn't even have a single story for over a year or so. And during the critical U.N. period of time under the Obama administration with Samantha Powers there, we supported Saudi and and United Arab Emirates coalition militarily through targeting assistance, intelligence, mid-air fueling, arms sales, training. I'm sure it was mainly logistics. It was our war. These people get our equipment get equipment from us that they've got to get trained in how to use and then they get told how to use it and uh, they don't get it unless they use it in ways that we approve. I mean, it's just a, uh, uh, a crime. I don't understand how it doesn't get more coverage other than by scholars like you. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And in addition to all the things you mentioned, which are very important, the U.S. has also supported the naval blockade of Yemen, mm-hmm. which has prevented food, medicine, from getting to people there. It's incredible. Again, 
this is the most brutal war any of us who are alive today have ever seen. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you say, it has gotten virtually no coverage. Mm -hmm. We hear nothing about it. And by the way, Yemen, not that it matters, by the way, you know, what kind of country it is, but it should be noted that Yemen has been a very advanced society. It has produced some of the most important architectural and scientific advances in the world. It is an amazing country, and it is being destroyed. You are looking at a genocide that is happening in this country. And again, there's barely a mention of it in the mainstream press. And to me, it just says volumes about, frankly, who our press represents, and it says volumes about both political parties that share in this massive crime. Let me ask you, in the last five or six minutes that we have with you, to also speak to the issue. You know, Samantha Power, I found a conference that she spoke at. It was by Multimedia. It was back on February 4th, 2017, Multimedia's conference guide. It indicates that she supported the Saudi Arabian-led intervention in Yemen, as you've indicated. In 2016, she was speaking on the situation in Syria, and she blames it all on Russia. It says, quote, what Russia is sponsoring and doing is not counterterrorism, it's barbarism. Now, we've just gone over all of these issues that we are the perpetrators of, that Russia does not in any way rival the type of influence. But I can remember in Syria itself, the same type of deals. And Seymour Hersh has documented the the rat line of terrorists that went down and became the backbone of the opposition to the Syrian government. But in addition to that, the idea, she goes on to say in one of her last major speeches of 2017, she goes on to say that the international community must do everything it can to stop what she described as a Russian assault on the world order. And in our own intervention in Syria, we came in, what was it, 2014 with our airstrikes. And for over a year, we allowed these ISIS oil tanking uh, convoys to go up and down through Turkey. ISIS really never got any significantly weaker. And then it was 2015 that Syria invited in Russia, unlike the U.S., which was an an illegal airstrike because they were not invited by Syria, the Russians came in and within months they were decimating and turning the tide against what's been proven to be this jihadist-led backbone opposition in Syria. But here you have Samantha Power, again with this image-making that that somehow Russia is sponsoring and doing is not counterterrorism, it is barbarism without presenting any evidence of that, of that, and goes on to describe Russia as an assault on the world order. And at the end of the day, it just seems like this humanitarian intervention is really a corporate intervention, multinational corporate intervention, that we will intervene in countries that don't allow the type of investment returns that you were alluding to at the beginning of your analysis. And that's what it's kind of ties all this together. But what do you think about the of Samantha Power's remarks and the possibility of her coming back into uh, such a powerful position as uh, the head of the USAID? If that is, do you really think that's going to happen? Well, it looks like it very well may happen, and it, it does frighten me. I mean, she, what she is saying is not true, and frankly, it ignores a lot of history. You mentioned Seymour Hersh, who for the, our listeners, we may have to ra- remind for a few of them who he is. This is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. 
He helped uncover the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. Abu Ghraib, right, in Iraq. He's one of America's great journalists. And by the way, he can't even get published anymore in the United States, which says a lot about the U.S. media. Very good. But he was, while he still could write in the U.S., back in 2007, he published an article in the New Yorker called The Redirection, and I urge you to go find it. Back in 2007, even then, he was saying that the U.S. was supporting al-Qaeda-like jihadists in Syria to destabilize the government. Okay, so the U.S. has now been intervening there for probably about 15 years or so to destabilize the government. And this has meant supporting brutal right-wing jihadist groups that behead people, that go in and take over towns, and again, abuse people, abuse women. And ultimately, Russia did intervene. And the reason they did was because Putin saw what happened in Libya, where the, the NATO supported these crazy jihadists there that overthrew the government. And then, by the way, began going to other countries like Mali and Syria, by the way, with the U.S. help, to destabilize these governments. And Putin said, enough's enough. We're not going to let another Libya happen. I'm not going to watch and see another major country, another major government overthrown by these jihadists that the West is supporting. I'm going to stop it. And he did. And frankly, if there was any honesty in the U.S. press, Putin would be given a heck of a lot of credit for that. Instead, he, as you say, people like Power, but many others, portray him as some kind of madman. The truth is the madmen and mad women, we don't have to go far to find. They, they're in Washington, and, you know, they're people like Donald Trump and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Samantha Power and Susan Weiss. And John Kerry just got back into the cabinet. <laughs> We were talking about that on the show just a couple of weeks ago about his incredibly misleading and false misrepresentations at his September 3rd, 2013 testimony in front of Congress about the Syrian gas attacks of the, of the month before. Let me just remind listeners that we have been visiting with the esteemed attorney and author, Daniel Kovalik, and I think um, I, I do want to just reiterate that with the Russian deal, I I appreciate that there may have been Russian involvement in Syria before 2015, maybe 2013, but I think it's important that Putin doesn't just decide to intervene and intervene. He is invited by the government of Syria. That's what makes it a legal you know, treaty and, and that type of alliance and that type of thing, whereas our involvement was never of that. It was extra legal uh, or illegal since we were not invited, but the real airstrikes that I was referring to or pounding of these sites started occurring uh, in 2015. And I think it's remarkable the effect that they had compared to the U.S. quote-unquote air attacks, and that just tells me we weren't interested in the same goal. No, that's a very, very important what you point out. Russia's involvement in Syria is legal under international law because they were invited by the duly elected government there and the U.S. involvement is illegal. Very good. If our airstrikes were really intended to eliminate ISIS and al-Qaeda parties in Syria, they would have. We have the most powerful military in the world. But they did not because to do so would have eliminated the vast proportion of military might fighting against the Assad government. 
namely the al-Qaeda-like jihadists. That is why it was not until 2015, after Russia air interventions began, that ISIS was significantly rolled back. Well, listen, let me ask you before we let you go, if people are interested in, in accessing your work and your book and potentially articles that you that get published about your work or that you write, what would be the best way to follow you and your work for our listeners? Yeah, well, thank you. You can go to Twitter. I'm at, I'm at Daniel M. Kovalik, K-O-V-A-L-I-K on Twitter. You can go to skyhorsepublishing.com. That's my publisher and find all my books. You can go to Counterpunch and RT News and Huffington Post as well, where I have articles there. Very good. Well, listen, it has been a great pleasure and honor to have you on the show. I know you are, are very busy with your school work as well as your writing work. So thank you for joining us. We would love to stay in contact and have you back on in the future. So thank you for bringing light into darkness. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. All right. Thank you, friend. Please stay tuned for our overnight broadcasting, which comes up next. You'll have to switch on over to our internet at koop.org. So join Tim for Nobody's Happy Hour. We take you out as we do every night with Land of Naivety. Check out the bozo. Oh.